Hello and welcome to the Keto Man's Club podcast. We're glad you're here, where each week we talk about men's health and lifestyle. We do so with the foundation of the ketogenic diet and lifestyle. If you don't know what keto is, stick around and you'll find out. Podcast will bring you real honest fun. Each week we strive to uncover the tips and tricks that you can use in your everyday life to maximize your overall health, find the clearest path to becoming the best version of yourself that you were meant to be. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Keto Man's Club Podcast. My name is Chris, and as always, I'm joined by Jim and Alberto. How's it going, guys? Fantastic. All good, sir. How are you? I'm doing quite well. I'm excited to get to record tonight. We've got a, uh, a special guest that we will introduce here in a few moments uh, that uh, will be rather unique for, for our podcast. And so I'm excited to uh, get to have her on. And uh, yeah, I just hinted her. Yeah, you you just so, hinted, yeah. The fort yeah. has been infiltrated. <laughs> the fort has been infiltrated. But she, well, let's go ahead and just you know throw it out there. It's in the title anyway. She is a officially a dudette, so it's all good, right? Uh, she is one half of the two keto dudes, Miss Carrie Brown. Welcome to the show, Carrie. We're so glad to have you here. Hey, guys. I, um, I, I'm honored, and especially because I'm not a boy, and I don't think you've had any non-boys on the show before. Not to this point. Not to this point. So you you, you get the pass because of the dudette you know, moniker. We're like, okay, we, we can do this. We can make this work. And we're so excited to have you on. You have a very unique story and, and one that is going to be really, really helpful to a lot of people. And so we're, we're glad to have you on and get to, to have you share with, with our listeners the wisdom and the knowledge that you've learned over the last few years uh, in restoring your health. Let's go around this, the, the horn real quick and see what's new with everybody. So uh, uh, let's start out with Jim. What's new with you? Well, I didn't publicize it too much, um, but I had a birthday a couple of days back and uh, kept it rather low key because when your birthday's on a Monday and it's not ending with a zero or anything like that and you go to a certain age, you just kind of let it sit back and do its thing. So, um, And I ended up actually, um, because it was a Monday night and nothing really was going on, I went and worked out. And so uh, knocked some rowing out and some other things and uh, hung in there with the 20-year-olds and felt pretty good about it. So not a bad way to uh, start off the year. And I'm not telling the number. I'll just tell you right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Alberto, and I'll just leave it at that. (laughs) Yeah. Alberto, how about you? What's new? Uh, well, uh, <laughs> got a picture from, from my lovely wife this evening, and, and I think my little 14-pound chihuahua almost met his demise. We, we, well, it's funny now. <laughs> we, we let him out in the backyard, uh, Crucito, and uh, you know he starts barking like crazy. Yvette runs out, and she sent me a picture of what has to be the largest owl I've ever seen cool. sitting on my fence. And uh, so, you know, she grabs the dog, runs inside, immediately starts Googling. We, I, we have no idea what kind of owl this thing was, but I'll tell you it was big. And it turns out, uh, depending on the breed of owl, they can pick up and fly away with up to 20 pounds. <laughs> so it would not have been good for him or us, but luckily owl's gone, dog's inside. Now we just got to make sure we go outside with him every time. <laughs> so that made for a rather eventful evening. <laughs> well, I bet so. I bet so. You're, you've had some uh, good times in the gym the last few days, although you're realizing that you uh, you need to, to get some supportive equipment to help uh, help along. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's looking like that. It's a you know, bag. It's funny. If you decide to, to push yourself to your extreme limits, in, the, in this case, it was that uh, 200 by 200 challenge. 
and uh, David Goggins thing where, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, 50 push-ups, 50 squats, 50 chin-ups, and 50 burpees every day for 200 days. And, uh, you know, me being as stubborn as I am, decided that I can do this, but still continue with my regular workout routine. You know, I have four days a week of lifting plus doing this every single day. And I made it to, if I remember correctly, 64 or 66 days straight. Before one morning, I woke up in a hotel, woke up late, ran straight. I took my chin-up bar with me to the hotel because this is how serious I was. Ran straight to my chin-up bar, started knocking out chin-ups right around number 15. It felt like a guitar string like plucked in the back of my neck. And mm. uh, definitely not a good thing. I actually still carried on for like another week and a half before it really started bothering me. And I think I ended up pinching a nerve. And it, it's all better now. I just got to constantly kind of rehab it. I don't know if it'll ever be 100% healed. But it's, it's it doesn't affect me anymore because at first it was like I couldn't even drive like I could barely pick my arm up to like reach the steering wheel so it was kind of freaking me out. But uh, when I when I deadlift uh, extremely heavy, um, it's not grip strength. I can hold the bar just fine. It's just just the weight of uh, anything over like three hundred and fifty pounds just puts a lot of pressure on that spot in my shoulder. And by the time I'm done, I get a little tingling sensation in my left arm. And I'm like, you know what? Some things just aren't worth it. So I might have to, you know, just throw on some wrist straps when I go super heavy and then, you know, protect the shoulder because if it's not going to get better, it's only going to get worse. Yeah. I, uh, I've been doing the, uh, the Krav Maga thing as we've talked about the last few episodes and I'm really enjoying it, but I realize that my shoulders are, are not happy with certain movements. And so I'm going to have to try to figure out a way to, uh, rehab that or be careful with them while still trying to throw hard 360s, uh, you know, as attacking my, uh, my, my partner, uh, and as they, <laughs> they guard against it and, uh, and all of that. So that will be, uh, an interesting thing to try to, to learn and manage, but both, both my shoulders right now are very angry at me, and I'm kind of glad that I didn't go to Krav Maga today um, and did other stuff um, this afternoon after work. So, uh, yeah. So let's um, now. This week is another thing that that you wanted to talk about, Alberto, and that's important to you. But um, you know, th- this week that we're recording, it's the first week of, of December right now. Um, so talk about uh, you know what did you call it? It was. Um, uh, it is a Crohn's and Colitis Awareness Week, or IBD right. Awareness Week. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so, talk just, about, uh, talk pretty much bringing awareness to an invisible disease. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's near and dear to me only because I I don't want to say I suffer because I do. I thanks to keto, I no longer suffer from ulcerative colitis. But uh, it, it, it's definitely a, a weird thing. I, I've spent a lot of life, a lot of my life in pain. Like we, we've talked about it before. It, it's not comfortable. It's it's and it's something like. I mean, I got to the point where you could look at me and be like, that guy does not look good. Something's seriously wrong with him. But for, I mean, there's a lot of people who are like, you know, these people are in really, really bad shape and you just, you can't tell by looking at them. And, you know, and they have, you have no idea of knowing how terrible this disease is. And uh, so I just like to, you know, bring it up. Know it's out there. People have this. Uh, you, you might know, so you probably know someone that has it. And it, sometimes, you know, people aren't trying to be antisocial. It's just that they physically can't find a way to get themselves out of the house. You know, I consider myself lucky one, like I've talked about before, um, going high fat keto and uh, the elimination of sugars and grains, I think more than anything, completely reversed all my symptoms um, to the point where I'll be coming up on two years, 100% med free pretty soon here. But I think it's safe to say I'm the exception and not the rule. I think diet can help tremendously, but I don't think everyone's case is the same and you'd have to approach it very individually and kind of kind of see what works for you and like i said biggest difference for me 
was owning the fact that my health is 100% my responsibility, along with the guidance of doctors, not exclusively through the guidance of doctors. And once I, I kind of hit a rock bottom and came to that conclusion, kind of changed my mindset and everything kind of turned around for me. So yeah, enough about that. Let's move on to other things. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You, you've done an excellent job of reclaiming your health and um, taking ownership of your results, your health and your body. And that's, uh, that's something that, that we all need to do. But most of us that have gotten into the keto world, we, we got there because we were taking charge of our own health. We were, we were there and um, Carrie will be able to speak into that quite a lot, actually, because I think she fired every doctor that she had at one point in time or another. Um, so we're so that, that ties in pretty directly with what Carrie's got going on. Do we have any shout outs today, Jim, Alberto? Um, I've got one. Uh, Jeremy Owsley uh, posted up the first part of December, a photo kind of before and after of both he and his wife. Uh, he wrote, um, the wife and I, November 2018 and September 2019. So just under a full year's journey, um, they are down a combined weight of 135 pounds. He's down about 90 um, and said he's uh, kind of fell into that Thanksgiving trap that many of the guys did, myself included, and said he's getting back back in the groove and everything. So 90 pounds, nothing to uh, knock at all and a huge before and after change. So congratulations to uh, Jeremy and his wife for their transformation. Absolutely. I was just seeing that picture and it absolutely is an excellent transformation. And and you can tell that he's just like we were talking about. He's reclaimed his health and that's awesome. Mm -hmm. um, Alberto, how about you? I'm just going to call out number uh, John Lesko. Um, he's just been, been super active, uh, engages in a, in a lot of posts, questions, everything I post or every comment that I have, and not you know in a rude way, but legitimately you know asks questions, questions why I do things, how I do things, and, and adds his opinion. And we have really good dialogue back and forth. We'll we'll get on someone else's someone else's post with a comment, and then me and him will go back and forth and pretty much take the whole thing over. But it's all respectable. It's all respectful. Um, just different points of views and asking questions as to as to how I go about doing things and my reasonings and, and why he does things his way. And, and that's what it's all about. So uh, yep. a lot of good engagement. So I just want to give him a shout out. Yep, absolutely. Um, we've got a lot of those, but it's it's great that, that he's being involved and and touching into everything. I'm going to give a general shout out to all of the people who made it through Thanksgiving and who aren't uh, saying, um, oh boy, I'm going to have to get up on the horse. We've, we've had some posts like that. Um, and, you know, the, the truth is we've all been there at one time in, in our life or another where we've had to kind of restart or, re, you know, kind of re reestablish our foundation on one thing or another and and but we had a lot more people that didn't say that that didn't share that or that said hey it was easy i just you know enjoy the protein whatever it was they they found a way to get it done and get it done easily and that that's awesome i'm i'm uh, glad to see uh, that it seems to me at least uh, from from the outside it, it seems that a lot of us made it through the holidays unscathed and um, i know that for me going carnivore for the month of november helped out a ton with that and i'm going to continue being right about 95 percent plus carnivore a few uh, veggies every now and again but carnivore is, is the way I'm, I'm perfectly happy with with staying carnivore and my wife uh, grudgingly <laughs> understands where i'm coming from on that um so yeah i just have to be careful how many veggies i do get whenever i go grocery shopping so that she doesn't have to you know say you will eat these because there's too many of them for me to eat so <laughs> i just have to be careful on that 
Um, okay, so that's our shout out. So let's dive right on in to Carrie. Carrie, we like to start out at the beginning of a person's health story, whatever that looks like. Um, tell uh, so, give us a little bit of background of you growing up. What was health like for you, and uh, lead us into the realm of the troubled time. So it's a long story, so I'm going to kind of try and truncate it so we get to the useful information faster. But in essence, so I'm going to kind of, the, the, the first 20 years were just sad. And I, I, I say that I was born depressed because from, from my very earliest memories, which are probably about four years old, um, I knew that I was different and I knew that something wasn't right simply because of the feedback I was getting from, from everybody around me. Um, but I didn't know what was wrong because, you know, at four years old, you don't have a name for these things. Um, I was depressed, but I didn't have a name for it because it had always been that way for me. So it was how I was. And as I as I grew up, the feedback I got from from family was that, you know, get over yourself, you know, what's wrong with you? Why why do you do the things you do? You, you know, you're just sort yourself out. Like stop being sad, all of that kind of the the the, the typical stuff that that people who are depressed get, but nobody recognised that it was depression. It was just written off as me being difficult, or you know, me being a pain, or me just being naughty, or you know, whatever else you want to call it. So my childhood kind of never really improved because my frame of reference was living under this black cloud that I had no name for. But I knew that something wasn't quite right because I didn't feel joy. I never felt the the kind of the happiness that I saw other children have. I found it incredibly difficult to participate at school. There just was not that that kind of life joy that, that most other people experience. And so I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know what because that had been the way it always was with me. So I started, the first time I, I took myself into therapy was actually I was studying at the University of the South Bank, which is in London, for those of you who realize that my accent isn't from here. Um, so I, I, and I was actually living up in London so it was the first time I'd actually got away from the family situation and the constant criticism about the fact that I was always sad. And so I took myself to therapy and, and said, you know, like, like, why? Like, I'm sad all the time. And what is this? And so that was the first time I really became aware that it had a name and it was called depression. That was also the first time I became aware that really the only the only recourse was either talk therapy or medication. And I have always been one of those people who was staunchly against medication. I didn't, you know, I grew up in a house where, you know, you had to be, you were ready to put you in a coffin before we were given medication. So you just sucked it up and kind of powered through it unless you were really, really sick. So I didn't want to take medication. And so I spent some time with a, a university counsellor back then and that really repeated itself multiple times over the next period of my life. 
I would get to the point where I would become so depressed that I would take myself to a doctor and say, you know, I'm going to have to get on medication because I just can't deal with this anymore. I'd go on medication for a little while. It, 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 I wouldn't get any relief and I'd have to deal with side effects. And so after one, two, three months, I'd, I'd come off it. And then I'd go through that cycle of I just, you know, suck it up and, and get through it until the next time I felt so bad that I'd go back to the doctor and say, okay, I've got to take something. And so that cycle repeated itself for a long, long time. And then about 10 I don't know, I lose track of time. 10, 12 years ago, I actually became so depressed that I went on some of the newer antidepressants. And the next year was this crazy merry-go-round of different antidepressants and horrible side effects. One of them they put me on made me violent. Now, I'm not a violent person, but I was found throwing furniture across the room. I actually assaulted someone, which is, was completely not me. Luckily, that person recognized that that was not me. It was the, the medication that was causing that shift in my behavior. And so luckily, I didn't end up in jail on a felony assault charge. They took me off that. They put me on another one. One of them made me suicidal. One of them caused me to have massive weight loss, which in a very, very unhealthy way. So, and then the last one they put me on gave me 24 by 7 panic attacks for six weeks. And I think that was the first time that I honestly thought that I had lost my mind was if if you've never had insomnia so bad that you haven't slept for a seriously long time, it is you literally think you've you've gone crazy. So after six weeks of that, I took myself off all the medications and just accepted the fact that I was going to have to fake my way through life. I was just going to have to drag myself through life as best as I could because there was nothing that could help me. And I was in that place of like, you know, I would fake it during the day so that I wouldn't get this constant negative feedback from the world around me. And then at night I would, would drink the pain away. So there was some alcoholism thrown in on top of all that because that was how I managed my emotional pain that I was dealing with because it wasn't something that you could talk out loud about. And particularly in England, the, the stigma then was so great that nobody ever confessed to going to therapy. Nobody ever confessed to being depressed or having a mental health issue. And so I just, I just decided that, well, I'm just going to have to fake it, do what I need to do to keep a job and keep a roof over my head and, um, and just kind of drag my way through life. So I did that for, for several years, but it was in 2013, yeah, 2013, so five and a half years ago that I actually had a full mental break and I ended up in the ER handcuffed to the to a gurney. And that was when, after that event, I was required to have a psychiatric evaluation and as a result of that, I was diagnosed with bipolar 2 disorder. Now, one important thing to note for anyone who is struggling or knows someone who is struggling, 
one it, why that made so much sense was because once I'd been diagnosed with bipolar 2 disorder, I knew why none of the antidepressants that I'd tried up to that point had worked. Because if you give someone with, with bipolar disorder antidepressants that are intended for unipolar disorder, bad things happen. And that had actually been my experience. But up until that point, I had always been misdiagnosed as having just unipolar depression. So I was being treated for the wrong mental health issue. And that's why I had such horrible side effects. And nobody ever went, oh, wait, is this, you know, are we actually treating the right illness? So, and I'm sure there's lots of other people out there who may well be in that same boat, is that the the antidepressants aren't working because they've actually been misdiagnosed. Carrie, After, can I pause you for just a second? Could you describe the differences between what you said is unipolar and bipolar, just in case? Because, you know, that's I, I never really thought about there being differences, so to speak. So could you give a little bit of insight on what the difference is between the two? Yeah, so... Uh, well, it, I'll describe bipolar and then unipolar will make sense. So but bipolar, and there's several forms of bipolar. I have what is known as bipolar 2 disorder, which is most of the most of my episodes are very depressive. So my episodes are uh, frequent and very deep depression, punctuated by very short bursts of what they call hypomania, which is not a full mania. So I don't do the crazy stuff. My mania showed up looking like I would write a cookbook in five weeks, or I would like turn into this superhuman that could just uh, exist on three hours of sleep. I was an absolute powerhouse in getting stuff done. I, I It was just my brain was like on fire. It was just, it was magical. And I loved that part, but I didn't know what it was. Um, bipolar one disorder, on the other hand, is where... People experience much more frequent and much um, longer episodes of proper mania. Mania that looks like driving 110 in a 30, having sex with anything that will sit still long enough, spending $50,000 in a weekend when you only make, you know, $10,000 a year, kind of that uh, jumping out of windows, that kind of the, the type of mania that you end up reading about on the news. So those folks have extended and frequent bouts of true mania punctuated by fewer and shorter-lived and and less deep depressive episodes. And then there's also another type of bipolar is mixed bipolar, where you kind of cycle between the two. And there's also rapid cycling bipolar, where going from mania or hypermania to depression is like super fast. So I'm bipolar too. And, and I hope that now m makes the unipolar make sense because unipolar depression is literally just the depression. There's no, there's no manic cycle, cycles. There's no hypomania. So I think with me, what they missed, maybe because nobody asked me and because my hypomania didn't show up as crazy, that they missed the, the mania part of it. They were just, you know, when I showed up, it was just like, I'm I'm very depressed, but nobody asked me the questions to figure out whether there was any manic or hypermanic episodes going on. 
but I I did find out that if you if you medicate a bipolar person with unipolar antidepressants, bad things happen. Goodness. Did that help? That does. Thank you very much. I'm sorry to interrupt okay. you, but I, I wanted to get a little clarification there while you were in the thick of that part. So I appreciate that. So I was diagnosed with bipolar 2 disorder and they followed this merry-go-round of psychiatrists and and doctors they because their their MO what they're trained to do is once they have diagnosed you is to find a medication that will work enough to keep you stable so that you don't go out you know hurting yourself or anyone else and to keep you stable to the point where you can live a relatively okay life where you're you're you can get up and go to work and where you can kind of manage and so the first medication they put me on literally turned me into a zombie it was like the zombie apocalypse had come but only to my house and um so for two weeks i was literally like couldn't even function and i and i'm single and i've been single for a long time and i had a a big job in in corporate america and so no one else was going to pay the bill. So I kind of went back to them and said, I, I, I can't function. I need to, I have to go to work. Otherwise, you know, my whole life is going to implode. And so then they put me on something else, which had other side effects. And then they tried something else. And I think it was like the fourth or fifth drug they put me on or combination of drugs they put me on got me to the point where I was stable enough where I could get up and go to work and do what I had to do. And um, I was relatively, I wasn't in the deep depression. So that's how psychiatry works. And so that was kind of my new normal. But nine months after I had my mental break, despite the medications, I became suicidal. And I spent eight months being suicidal 24 hours a day. And by that, I mean that if I was awake, there was a voice in my head telling me that I should kill myself. So I actually had to take a medical leave of absence from work because I, I mean, I just, I couldn't function in that kind of environment with, with the suicidal ideation being constant. At about the six month mark, I took, decided that if I was going to be suicidal constantly on drugs, then I may as well be off the drugs and be suicidal because I, I didn't, I mean, there was no point in taking drugs that weren't helping. So I took myself off everything. And for two months, I just continued with the suicidal ideation, but without any, any uh, medical support in terms of medication. But after about two months, I went to a new doctor and said, I've got to do something because I am going to end my life if something doesn't change here. I just can't do this anymore. And he put me on a anti-seizure medication called Lamotrigine. And three days after I started taking that, it was as if somebody had turned the lights on in my whole life. And I actually experienced joy for the first time. And it was absolutely magical. And for six months, I had joy. 
And then after six months, I became suicidal again. My doctor's response was to double the dose of lamotrigine, and sure enough, the joy returned. And then six months later, I became suicidal again, and their response was to double the dose. And that was the point, and you alluded to it earlier, Chris, that was the point at which I said, I'm sorry, but this is BS. You, I cannot spend the rest of my life just waiting for the other shoe to drop, just waiting for the day. Because what if next time I become suicidal, I'm in a place where I actually have the tools and the space and the ability to do something about it. I can't just sit around waiting for that to happen. And I also can't just keep taking increasing doses of this drug, which is messing with my brain. Like this is an, this is not an answer. And I also was like, you know, nobody's asking the critical question here. Nobody's, there's no critical thinking going on in any of this except by me. And the critical question in my mind was, why does Carrie have bipolar? Nobody on my team, none of the psychiatrists, none of the psychotherapists, none of the doctors were asking, why does Carrie have bipolar? They were simply trying to medicate the symptoms to make them bearable. Whereas I was like, okay, how about we we figure out why I have bipolar and then do something so that I no longer have the symptoms in the first place rather than trying to medicate the symptoms to to make them livable. Um, everybody looked at me like I'd lost my mind. So I fired everybody. I fired everybody on my medical team. And at around the same time, I bumped into Dr. Ted Naiman, who is quite famous in the keto space. It turns out that he lives lived, his office was about 11 miles from my home in Seattle. And so I connected with him. And the other thing I did at that time was I, I decided that I was going to figure out why I had bipolar. And I decided to start with genetics because it felt to me like genetics were, they are what they are. There wasn't variables. But if I was going to look at environment, there's a million variables. If I was going to look at food, there's a million variables. So it felt like genetics, if I could figure out if there was any genetic connection, that would be a good place to start. So I sent off, you know, spat in a tube, sent off my spit to 23andMe, got my DNA back. And at the same time, I bumped into Dr. Naiman on Twitter and we got talking. I asked him if he knew anything about DNA. He said, not a lot, but I'll try and help you if I can. That conversation led to me going to see him in his office because he found out that I, or I told him that I had bipolar and he said, I think I can help you with that. So I went to see Ted and he put me on the ketogenic diet. So that was, I had been low carb up to that point, um, but not keto. So, and the reason that Dr. Naiman put me on the ketogenic diet was the ketogenic diet was originally developed to help children with seizures. And it was very, very successful at either ending seizures in children or reducing them dramatically. So it's very successful. And since the drug I was on, lamotrigine, was an anti-seizure medication, and that was relatively effective in helping me, Dr. Naiman's thinking was, well, if you're helped by an anti-seizure medication, maybe you'll be helped by an anti-seizure diet. So uh, Dr. Naiman put me on the ketogenic diet. 
I then started digging into my DNA and the thing that I found out that really changed everything was that I found out I have a genetic mutation called MTHFR, which we they believe affects 30% of the population, which is a ton of people. So uh, um, I started figuring out MTHFR, and what that is is people who who have the the, the genetic wrinkle MTHFR. If it's actually expressing, one of the ways it expresses itself is that it makes it either very difficult or impossible for us to methylate. Now, methylation is a process that occurs in the body. There's lots of processes in the body that require methylation. One of them is that we have no ability to convert B vitamins from the form they come to us in food. We don't have the ability to convert them into a form that's actually usable by our bodies. So essentially, I had had a lifelong deficiency in B vitamins, and that was actually corroborated by a bunch of blood tests I had done to see what was in my blood, what wasn't, what I had that I shouldn't, what I didn't have that I needed. So the reason that that the B vitamin thing is critical is because the number one role of B vitamins is neurotransmitter health. So B vitamins are one of their main functions is that they keep our brains healthy. Now, I had had a lifelong deficiency in B vitamins because I had this genetic thing that prevented me from methylating the B vitamins into a form that my body could use. So I had essentially, my my brain had never received the nutrients that it needed in order to function correctly. Other things we found out on my DNA, I had, I have a genetic uh, intolerance to gluten. Now, I don't have celiac, but it shows up in other ways. So I do have a genetic intolerance to gluten. I also, my serotonin and dopamine receptors are broken in about 40 different places on my DNA, which, and, and if you know anything about serotonin or dopamine, those two things between them are responsible in large part for our mood balance. So if you add all of those things up, Plus the the fact that MTHFR makes it very difficult for our bodies to detoxify themselves. Everyone that has a liver, the liver's function is to, to detox. People with MTHFR, their liver either doesn't do that or doesn't do it very well. So we also have the problem where toxins, which are, you know, everywhere, household cleaners, carpets, paint, I mean, like food, all of those toxins, it's very difficult for me to to clean out mold, right? Very difficult for us to to clean through our liver. And so those toxins build up in us. If you add all of those genetic things up, it was really no surprise that my brain had gone sideways. Um, It just so happened that it looked like bipolar 2 disorder. It could have gone in in a lot of different ways, but bipolar 2 is uh, the the symptoms that I displayed as a result of, of that kind of genetic mayhem. So I started taking, so it was July, middle of July 2015 that I, that Dr. Naaman put me on the ketogenic diet. And six weeks later, I started taking pre-methylated B vitamins. So for the first time, my body was actually getting B vitamins. 
And it was six weeks after that, with the, the combination of the keto and the, the methylated B vitamins, that uh, Dr. Naiman said, you can come off your lamotrigine now. And hands up, I was terrified to do that. And um, I wouldn't do it cold turkey. So we kind of stepped, we half-lifed me over a couple of weeks. And then I came off it. And that was in October 2015. And I have been unmedicated for since then, so over four years now. And I've also been free of symptoms of bipolar for that same time. It's just... And and I've been blessed to be able to get to hang out with you, Carrie, and to get to spend time with you in person. And the, the truth is, I would never in my life think that you were ever depressed if all I had known was the experiences that I've had with you in person. But I, knowing and hearing your story, it, it, it's it's just night and day. It has to be night and day exact, from where you were to where you are now. And, and uh, you've had other unfortunate health issues that you've been dealing with, uh, but you've been finding uh, naturopathic ways of dealing with those and trying to get a leg up on them and hopefully uh, overcoming uh, a lot of the detoxification issues that you've had that were probably uh, side effects from all of these other deficiencies that that you've addressed via diet and via specific supplementation. Right. And and to be clear, um, the detox is, is, is still... I feel like I've still got years to go on catching up on the detox with with the things that the people who don't have this this detoxification issue they don't think about it for me but I mean I had a lifetime of toxins building up and it's not going to take me 5 minutes to get rid of them all so that is still a work in progress but you're right I actually I moved to Connecticut uh, 20 months ago and immediately got Lyme disease um, which, um, if you if you're not aware of what Lyme disease is, it's carried by uh, infected ticks. Not all ticks, but some f- ticks that have been infected via mice and deer become infected with this uh, spirochete, uh, which is known as Lyme disease, and um, it's horrible, absolutely horrible. So that was I spent last year. Uh, trying to, well, not trying, I did, uh, getting rid of Lyme disease, but that that took months because Lyme is just incredibly difficult to work with. But I did that without the use of medications. I did that via homeopathic medicine, and but that was very successful, but it did take about six months. And then this year, I discovered that I have mold, which I also haven't been able to to detox from my body because of the the genetic issues I have. So I have a lot of detoxing still to do. And that's that feels like that's going to be a lifelong process. But from a brain standpoint, I it has been this whole experience and and figuring all this out has been absolutely life changing. And by that, I mean, my brain literally does not work the same way anymore. And one of the things you do know about me, Chris, is that I can be an awkward cuss. And I've actually like tried to make myself depressed because it's been so very bizarre to me 
that I don't think the way I used to. Like, it's just, it's been a really surreal experience for me when you've spent your whole life with your brain reacting or going down certain thought paths, which you were not able to control. And then, and then all of a sudden they're doing something different and you're like, wait, what? And I spent a long time waiting for the other shoe to drop. You know, after we, I came off the Lamotrigine, it was like, okay, is it going to be tomorrow that I suddenly become suicidal again? Or is it going to be next week? Or And so for at least a couple of years, I was always in that mode of waiting for the other shoe to drop and for my former life, for the hell to return. And, and I still, it, it gets, the gaps between get longer and longer when I'm thinking, is it going to come back? Is it going to come back? Um, but it hasn't. And I am getting used to the fact now that, that my brain actually works differently. I simply do not think the way or respond. My brain doesn't respond the same way that it used to to things that happened to me. And it's been an incredible experience, but it's also been very odd when when you've known one thing your whole life and then it's suddenly, you know, I mean, it's like, I can't think of a, of, a, of a good other way to explain what that might feel like, but it's just been really, really odd. Carrie, do you have, have any? Do you have any siblings? Has is this something that? Because talking about the genetic testing, has anybody else in your family experienced any of these symptoms or anything? Yes, I and so I have. And I can't remember the technical terms for the the genetics, but but there's there's if you have MTHFR, you can either have it get it from one parent or from both, and and how that expresses themselves if you have one or both is different. I only have one, so and I am I there. It's very clear to me that that the someone I got it from was my father, not my mother. And I say that because I look at his his life. He he spent and I was very young, but he spent seven years of my very early childhood on Valium. And of course, at, at the time, I mean, I heard the word, I didn't know what it was. Um, but so he was obviously suffering from mental health issues that I didn't understand. And again, you know, he, um, your, your parents are, you look at them and you assume that that's normal. <laughs> so you don't, you don't necessarily recognize that was anything wrong with him. I just remember there was a lot of talk about Valium and I remember him like disappearing and not talking to us for days on end. And, and I do remember there being times when he was just like the best, funnest dad ever. And then a lot of times where it was just like, you couldn't talk to him or he would, you know, I walked on eggshells. There was a lot of like, how's he going to respond? But I didn't recognize there was anything wrong with him. I just thought that's how dads were because that was all I knew. Um, But he also had things that he had psoriasis, I have psoriasis. Also, all the weird things, he had migraines, I have migraines, all the symptoms that I had that are now clearing up as a result of this, he had them all. So it, it's for sure it was my father that I got the the uh, genetic mutation from. And he he had MTHFR, but it was completely undiagnosed. And even though I started like, you know, raising the alarm 
four years ago when I found this out about me, my my parents, my father uh, and my sibling were not in any way prepared to accept that there was any truth to any of what I was saying about my journey. So um, my brother is actually a doctor and was just stuck in the uh, mental illness needs to be treated with, you know, regular medications and and talk therapy. And so my father was never diagnosed and thus never treated. And he actually died. Uh, my father died last July. So there's that. My brother does also have weird things. He has some of the other symptoms that are often symptoms of MTHFR. He has, I remember growing up, he had hives. He had other kind of weird things that didn't seem to be as a result of anything. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty sure that he has the mutation too, but um, not open to looking at that. Okay. Well. Probably because he's a doctor, you know, and and no doctors don't know about this stuff because they haven't been taught about this stuff. So I I don't want it to sound like I'm dissing doctors, but they're just not trained to look at root cause. They're not trained to ask why does Carrie have bipolar. They're trained to say this woman has these symptoms. What drug can we use to make those symptoms go away or be less? That's what they're trained to do. That wasn't what I wanted. I wanted to know why I had bipolar. I mean, there had to be a reason. And so my obnoxiousness is what actually led to me <laughs> finding out that that I didn't have to live with the symptoms of bipolar any longer. And, you know, I, I like, I, do I have bipolar? Well, I haven't had any symptoms for over four years. So I, I don't consider that I have bipolar 2 disorder anymore because I don't have any symptoms. So that would be like saying, you know, well, I fell down the stairs and broke my leg four years ago. And even though I had a cast on and I've mended my leg and I now don't have any symptoms of having a broken leg, I still have a broken leg. Which yeah, makes no sense at all. Understand that. Yeah, and it's this with the audio, with the autoimmune IBD community is the exact same way. Like, don't you dare use the word cure. And you know, and I, I, I don't ever say it, but I was like, okay, I can't, I'm not going to say I cured myself. I go, if I have absolutely zero symptoms and there is no signs of damage in my intestines, I'm like, what word would you use? Like, I heal right. myself. Does that does that make you feel better if I say I heal myself? And you know, and 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 same as you were saying, these people think I'm absolutely insane in the IPD community. My doctor thinks I'm insane, and like that they don't understand. And then I, you know, kudos to you because I had I just happened to stumble across keto. I, there was not a whole lot of research involved. I just figured, hey, I'll try this and we'll see if it works. You know, maybe it'll work for me. I doubt it, but you know, what's eight weeks of time? I got really nothing to lose. And then, uh, you know, at that point, this is almost three years ago now. And uh, kind of how you were saying, and this is something that I've just realized sometime over the course of this last year, I think I've always had pretty extreme sensitivities to sugar and or grains. But I think my career choice of painting cars for a living, which is extremely toxic. I mean, you're pretty much, you know, the whole idea is to make metal not rust. And the only way to make metal not rust is to apply chemicals to it, which are incredibly uh, cancer-causing. Yep. So I think the toxicity, the toxicity of spraying cars 
full time, you know, 60 hours a week, along with my diet at the time and my sensitivities manifested itself as ulcerative colitis. Right. And, you know, by the time I figured this out, I was 12 years well, I, just, I, just, I mean, I should I just figured it out. But like, you know, you get to a certain spot where it's hard to change careers. You know, I've been yep. doing this for over 20 years now. And it's it's not like I could just, okay, well, painting cars is making me sick. Let me go into this. You know, right. I, I was lucky in the sense that I was able to step away from painting cars and get into more of a training and management position. And, and it's, what's really interesting is just this last week, um, I went into a shop to do a little bit of painting. And then we, you know, we removed the old paint system. We put our paint system in because there's different paint systems, like there's different brands of cars. And uh, the paint system we pulled out of there was the paint system I sprayed the most of when I was spraying cars. And I stepped foot in that shop and I immediately felt it in my stomach like I swallowed a brick. And it scared the hell. And this was the week before Thanksgiving. It scared the hell out of me. I'm like, great. Like, I have to be here helping these guys work, helping them do their things. Like, this week might literally kill me. But uh, luckily, it didn't come to that. Um, We were able to make a smooth transition. It was nice enough to keep the building very well ventilated. But the, the moment that whiff of paint hit my nose and went straight to my stomach, it's like a little light bulb went off in the back of my head. And I'm like, oh, man. Man, there might be something to, to what I've been thinking this whole time. And, and, and again, like you were saying, doctors for me, it, it's, it's like they're just throwing darts at a dartboard and whatever medication it lands on, like, let's give this a shot. You know, regardless of side effects, regardless, no one's ever talked to me about diet. No one ever talked about lifestyle. No one ever talked to me about, hey, you know what? You know, the career you're in is probably incredibly toxic and you have an autoimmune disease. None of that stuff ever came up. It, right. I just happened to stumble across it. It, it's interesting, but going back to my analogy of, of, of breaking a leg, um, you know, I, I'm sure you've had this too, that you've had people who, you know, get upset when you use the word cure or even healed sometimes. And, you know, you, you come up with the, the broken leg analogy, but then they'll say, well, but if you stop taking your B vitamins and you stopped eating keto, you'd be bipolar again. So you are still bipolar. And I'm like, yeah, well, if I fell down the stairs and broke my leg again, then yeah, I'd have a broken leg again. But that, I mean, <laughs> right? It, it, it's like, so do I have a broken leg or not, right? And, and But people don't like it when you kind of you use that analogy, but it's actually the same. Yes, I've healed my broken leg, but if I did the same behavior as I did what broke it in the first place, yes, I'd have a broken leg again. It's no different to what we're talking about is, is I had bipolar. I now have healed my bipolar because I haven't had any symptoms for four years. But if I stopped taking my pre-methylated B vitamins and stopped eating keto, the likelihood is that I would get those symptoms back. But that doesn't mean that I haven't healed it now. I mean, does that kind of resonate with your yeah. experience with your... Oh, absolutely. You know, it, it's just like... 100% absolutely. Why are people so resistant to this sense that you can cure something? Yeah, we just had this conversation last week, and, and, and you know, like I, I, I preach it from the rooftops now. And I was like, look, some people are in very bad shape. Some people are in shape where they're beyond fixing any by any reasonable means other than medication. And, you know, I'm 
like I didn't, I've experienced that misery. I know what that feels like. I go, but isn't considering a diet change, I go, even if it eases your symptoms by 20, 30%, isn't that worth a shot? And, and they just, they just think I'm insane. It's, it's the strangest thing. They say they, they're hooked on their doctors. I'm like, yeah, listen to your doctor, but you live with you 24 hours a day. You see your doctor a few minutes, every few months. And uh, the, the saying I got from Dr. Sean Baker that always resonated with me is like, Something along the lines of your daily performance as a human being is the best indicator of health that you will ever have. And when I heard that, I was like, okay, I'm like, that, that, that seems to make sense. You know, and it's, it's quite simple. He worded it very simply, but it just seems to go over so many people's heads. So one thing um, that was mentioned in your your little preamble when I, when I was sitting here being quiet was that everything is unique. So the way that you approach what's best for you is going to be different for every person. And I think that's exactly right. And I I think I know for sure that nobody listening to this should self-medicate themselves with premethylated B vitamins and go carnivore in an attempt to cure their own bipolar or other mental health issue. Because just because that was the 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 sweet spot for me doesn't mean that that's going to be the sweet spot for anybody else. And I think the question, I'm becoming more and more convinced that the question to pretty much any question in the keto world is it depends because we are all individuals. Like someone who has your same symptoms may not respond in exactly the same way because they don't have your history. They don't have your other genetic things going on. They don't have, you know, we're all so different that I think, I think keto is a brilliant base and I think pretty much everyone on earth will have better health through being on it. But once you're on it, you have to tweak it to suit what's going on for you. As you mentioned at the start, it's like you have to figure out, you have to tweak it and perfect it relative to your genes, your history, your allergies, your whatever. There's no one size fits all in any of this and it's very much a, a case of, you know, you know, what macro should I be eating? Well, it depends. Are you a girl? Are you a boy? Are you taking medications or are you not taking medications? Have you been a yo-yo dieter? Do you have any genetic mutations? I mean, the list of questions that would change the answer to that question are almost endless. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that leads me straight into actually what one of the questions that I had, which was um, for those that wish to take control, for those that wish to take back that uh, that that thing, what uh, take back their health. What if you were to give two or three specific um things that someone could do, what would you suggest that people do to like action steps to try to reclaim their health? So if if you're listening to this and your issue is mental health, then I would say that there's one thing up on my website, which is uh, carriebrown.com. If you type in DNA into the search, 
a, a document will pop up which basically gives you the step-by-step of how I did my, well, one, it has a my keto talk of my story in a lot more depth than we've been able to cover here. But then it goes step by step of what I did to get to where I am now with all the links you need and and everything. So if, if bipolar or mental health issues are your Achilles heel, then that would be a very easy way to start. I recommend anybody, everybody to get their DNA done because I learned so much from finding out where the the gaps were, finding out where the red flags were. It gives you something to hang your hat on. It gives you somewhere to start. Just because you have a, a a genetic mutation doesn't mean that you you're gonna ever have that or suffer from that. It has to express itself. If it's not expressing and you have no symptoms, then it's all good. You don't need to do anything. But if you have symptoms, the DNA will give you like the this clear path of okay, I have MTHFR. Okay, I'm gonna go down that path. It gives you somewhere to start instead of kind of just standing there going, I have, you know, X. I have no idea where to start looking for what might really be going on here. And the getting my DNA was, if I hadn't done that, I don't think I would be alive today. And I know that sounds dramatic, but I was suicidal. So I, I, I think if I hadn't got the relief when I did, I just don't think I could have continued doing that life for another four years. So DNA, in my in my experience, getting my DNA was the single most important thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah, our our our, our uh, mutual friend Danny Vega, he has MTH, he has the, the DNA marker for MTHFR, but it isn't expressing in him the same way that it has for you. So another, you know, a, a perfect example of uh, someone who hasn't dealt with the same issue. He didn't end up bipolar by any means, but he has it, and he does have some detoxification issues apparently. But um, but yeah, it, it, that's it, it. It's each one of us is different. So getting the DNA done um, was was helpful what else uh, what were some action steps that we can maybe take with our with our doctors around us hmm. well i <laughs> i don't have i i, I have <laughs> i have dr ted Naiman, who's my my keto doctor and of course i've moved to connecticut now so he's no longer my keto doctor but i had dr Naiman who was was managing the keto end of things but i actually do not have a doctor anymore i have Two naturopaths and a homotoxicologist I actually do not see. I have not seen a, air quotes, normal doctor for um, four and a half years. So I'm not any help with, with what to say to your doctor because I don't I, – I, in my experience, and maybe I've just been unlucky, but in my experience, typical medical training does not cover the, the curing or healing of the symptoms that I had. And so I went elsewhere and naturopathy has worked brilliantly for me, as has homotoxicology, which is how I dealt with the the lime issue and how I'm dealing with my mold issue now my house had mold and so therefore I have mold um and so I'm not using any regular western medical at all anymore and and so I can only say 
Um, if you're suffering from autoimmune disease or weird things that, that doctors don't know about, like migraines and eczema, psoriasis, all those kind of things, mental health issues, I highly recommend that you find a naturopath or a functional medicine doctor because their MO is very different. They're, the way they practice is to look for root cause rather than medicating symptoms. So for me, that was the only way that was actually ever going to end up in a, in a, in a winning situation. However, if I fall over and break my leg, I'm going to go to the ER and get a regular doctor to fix it. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to go to a naturopath for that. No. Um, yeah, I lucked out that, that I ended up with a physician's assistant at my urologist office who manages my testosterone replacement. But he is very much from that root cause. Let's you know treat this with only enough to, to make sure that your, your body is doing what it needs to do let's support it so I, I lucked out and he he's acted as my primary care even though he's technically not a primary care he's acted that way for you know last two and a half years so i'm i'm lucky in that and and i'm uh I, i'm gonna keep using him for, for that very purpose uh because he's he's very willing to to work with me and the the thing that i would say that i have done and that i've heard suggested from from doctors like ken berry uh and uh all of the the wonderful keto doctors that we have in the uh, the, the keto world, uh, they they say find a doctor. Go, you know, fire as many doctors as you need to, but find a doctor that you can go to that will actually listen to you and that will allow you to converse with them in a way that is uh, root cause analysis, like you said, like your your whole thing, this whole, I, I, as a troubleshooter of computers and technical things, to think any other way about any other thing, uh, including health. Our, our bodies are these wonderful created machines that work when they work in perfect harmony um, why are we not treating them as something that can be fixed? And so, uh, let's, yes. let's if I could get, add to that, yeah, I, I would just say like as simple as find a doctor that talks to you and not at you. My last doc, and I'm probably overdue for a doctor's visit because I'm kind of anti-doctor at the moment. Uh, but my last doctor that I had definitely talked at me and didn't talk to me. And uh, I'm sure Kerry will appreciate this. I think the only time he ever looked away from his laptop and looked me in the eyes or talked to me was the day I went in there and told him I stopped taking my medicine, my medications over six months ago. <laughs> Then all of a sudden, then now he wanted to talk. Right. <laughs> but uh, and, and to your point, Chris, about what you're saying about, you know, what your, your career and what you do, like, you know, my career is all about manipulating variables to, to achieve the exact same outcome every time, which is the flawless pain job on a car. And, you know, I've spent my whole career doing this. It's what I do. So when I started attacking this keto diet, realized it was going to work. I'm like, okay, well, how can I take that skill set and kind of carry it over? Like if I can, you know, if you can manipulate variables slowly, carefully and achieve one outcome, there's got to be a tie in. And so I kind of approached that route, you know, just kind of like what you were just saying right now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I would I would definitely say that that so my yardstick is if you have symptoms and and seeing a traditional doctor is not, has not bought you real relief then naturopath or functional medicine doctor that that would yep, be absolutely. my yardstick is is if you're not getting better if things aren't improving then 
try and find a functional medicine doctor or a naturopath who are trained to look at root cause. And I think you will have a very different experience. Yeah, I bet so. Well, let's uh, let's transition a little bit. Your story of how you've healed yourself is is amazing, and that's one amazing aspect of what you do. But the other half is you bring us delicious food, and we have the Keto oh, Kitchen man. with Carrie Brown. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, let's let's talk about that. Let's um, talk about creation of, of your Facebook group and things like that. Uh, I think Jim had some special questions uh, as, regarding that as well, maybe. Yeah, I'm just curious, you know, you've you've got a wonderful following and all kinds of great stuff there and you know, we've not seen that level of success yet with Keto Man's Club, but we're 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 catching up to you a little bit. So, <laughs> tell us about how you started this and and um where you're at today, how this all came about. So, it 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 really stemmed from the fact that I'm a pastry chef by trade. So when I was at the University of the South Bank, which I mentioned was the first time I went into therapy, I was actually studying at the National Bakery School, which is part of South Bank University in London. So I'm actually a pastry chef by trade. So that's where the whole professional chef part comes into this. And when I started, I think it was back in 2012, I was eating a protocol called SANE, which was basically um, no grains, no no nasty oils, no sugars, but there was a lot of vegetables involved. So it was kind of low carb. Um, oh, and no starchy vegetables. So only, you know, your, your low carb, non-starchy vegetables. But there was the requirement was to eat a mostly vegetables and then some protein and then a little bit of whole food fats. So I was doing that, which helped me to a point, but obviously not enough to sort my brain out. Um, But I did start, that was when I started developing recipes because I realized back in 2012, you know, keto was of course around because it's been around a long time, but it was not on anybody's radar. Nobody was talking about keto out loud. 2012, people were just starting, a few people were just starting to talk about, you know, Gary Taubes and his uh, why we're fat and what to do about it, just starting to the the low carb thing. So I realized that there was not a lot of resources out there for uh, recipes that followed this low carb, no grain, no sugar approach. So I started just on the weekends, I had a corporate job, just on the weekends, I started uh, creating recipes to to fit that lifestyle and and so that's kind of where it started and then that became quite successful and people started asking me for cookbooks begging me for cookbooks and there were none there were no keto cookbooks at the time and not a lot of low carb cookbooks and so that is is why I I turned to writing cookbooks because people begged me to. So I wrote some cookbooks and and I did a podcast way back then um, with a gentleman called Jonathan Baylor. And I did that for a couple of years. 
And then I took a couple of years off because of the, the whole bipolar story that we've just listened to. I was in that that hell of suicidal ideation and just really, really struggling to keep myself alive. So there was a couple of years gap. And then I re-engaged in 2016. And when I had been free of symptoms of bipolar for, for coming up for a year, and so I was starting to reemerge and get reengaged in life. And I fired my blog back up. And of course, then I was fully keto, thanks to Dr. Naaman. And so I started blogging um, keto recipes and, and building my online presence. I refined all of the cookbooks that I had out to be fully keto, added a bunch more recipes to all of them, so doubled the, the size of them, republished them, and and then created some more. And so here we are now, thanks to, you know, cookbook sales and, and also uh, more podcasts. Uh, as Chris mentioned, I am now one of the two keto dudes. I took over from Richard Morris, who left to pursue uh, a PhD and found that he just didn't have the bandwidth to to do all the two keto dude stuff as well as, as do all the, the school. So I took over from Richard and I've been doing that. So I do recipes for my blog. I create cookbooks. I've just added, I do another podcast actually with Kim Houghton and uh, Dr. Ken and Nisha Berry called Keto Life Support. And I also do once a month, I am on the My Sugar Free Journey podcast with Erin Farmer. We do a, a foodie episode of the first Monday of every month. Um, so there's a lot of podcasting, which I love to do, and recipe creation. And I've just actually added um, Masterclass this year, a few months ago. I I thought, I wonder if people need more help other than just a recipe. Do they need help learning how to cook or learning how to cook better or getting some some more hands-on professional help with that, like, you know, cooking school, but remotely? And so I did a masterclass, which I launched in October, which was actually the masterclass was my Keto for the Holidays cookbook. So we kind of went through the Ketos for the Holiday cookbook recipe by recipe. Um, I recorded a bunch of videos of me making them. And then every week we had a live Q&A where the people asked all the questions about it. And it was incredibly successful. So there's going to be a lot more of that in the future. I guess I didn't realize how many people really need help with the cooking part. Not just my, my. The, his recipe, but the actual <laughs> turning the recipe into delicious food. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, there's a lot of people that come to keto who have never learned to cook or because they've been brought up with prepared foods or fast food and they simply don't know where to start. And and I think what what I do or what I see myself as 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 being the expert in is not all the theory and the the medical stuff but it's like okay once you've decided that that keto is what you need to do and why my part is showing you how to translate all that theory and knowledge into what do I actually put on my plate and put in my mouth <laughs> and please can it be delicious because we all know well for most people will never be able to to stick to a an eating lifestyle that doesn't taste good. There are some mm -hmm. people in the world who can eat 
eat food and not care what it tastes like. They'll eat, you know, if, if there's some people I've met who, if you told them that cardboard was the most nutrient dense thing on earth, they would happily eat cardboard for three meals a day. Well, but most I, I of us are not ate, wired that way. Yeah. I, I ate cardboard. I eat those Totino pizzas whenever I was a bachelor, like no, no other, but that, that, you know, that crust on those was basically cardboard and the, you know, it's pretty it, much it, cardboard. Yeah, pretty much. So yeah, absolutely. People will eat anything if they think it's convenient enough or whatnot. I am one of those that I'm, you know, hand in the air. My, my wife will, uh, would, would be jumping up and down, waving her hands behind saying that I have no clue what I'm doing in the kitchen. Because generally speaking, if it's not, you know, throw it in a pan and turn on the heat, uh, that's pretty much all I know, um, other than what, what I've learned from uh, listening to your podcast and, and, and editing and, and all of that. So I've, I've learned some things, but I, I probably should be in those master classes. Um, <laughs> I could learn I- a lot. You you would be you you would add another level of fun to the master classes. So please come and join us. But 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 most people, while there's some people who really aren't that into food that it's just fuel for them. Yeah. For most people, if it's not delicious, they are gonna get fed up or they're gonna get bored. And so what I do is I make sure that that the food that they're eating is is hopefully more delicious than the food they were eating. So actually physically staying on the keto train is just simply not hard because the food tastes great. So they have no, you know, when you're on a, a, a typical diet, you're always wanting to go back to eat the good stuff. That I, I want to reverse that here. I want it to be actually keto's more delicious than what I used to eat. So that's a big incentive for people to, to stay the course, which is my ultimate goal is to help people who want to eat keto to stay keto and, and thus improve their health exponentially. Absolutely. Well, I can I can well, say that well, the you, uh, I, I can say that the the lemon curd recipe that I used and we uh, we talked through uh, creating more of a a, a pie filling for uh, that actually went over pretty well with my family. Um, the the uh, they they were like, oh, this is actually good, and it's like and it's keto. Um, so it, that that's a testament to uh, to to. Uh, your recipes and, and the fact that I was able to make it was another, you know, thing. It was it was simple enough, and from your uh, from your breakdown in the recipe that that I could actually put it together and make something delicious. So it was great. From the 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 keto for the holidays masterclass, the most common comment since the holidays has been. Nobody had any idea that they were eating keto food. And I, I guess that's the, the biggest, my biggest goal is that, that non-keto people should have no clue. They should yep. think this food is delicious and not think, wow, there's no way I'm ever going keto if that's what I have to eat. So it, there's times where I have people in from out of town and then I keep my cooking very simple. I do have, I have quite a few of your cookbooks and I must got to throw in there that avocado ice cream is still a household favorite. My kids Yay! devour that stuff. And I was like, you know what, if I could find a way to make them eat more avocados, it's a win-win. So, but, but I've, I've thrown some feasts here and like, so I keep things very simple. I'll, you know, cook a whole bunch of food on the grill and like I'll, I'll lay out a spread. And then everybody will eat and they'll be like, oh, that was so good. I'm like, you do realize that everything that you just ate is 100% keto. And they just get this look on their face like, yep. are you serious? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's not. I go, you're overthinking this whole thing. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, and I think most people approach keto with a, well, it's a diet, so therefore it must taste horrible or it must be hard or it must be whatever. So I think for me that the feeding people with food that tastes fantastic is probably one of the things that's going to keep them on the keto train. And so that's what I focus on doing. I, I let everybody else do the the coaching and the the you know the medical stuff and the the science and all of that i'm just all about the making it taste good the, here's you know one of the things that i see in our group quite often and i'm sure you hear this regularly is a sugar substitute people miss having sweet things and there's so many different ones out there can you talk about a couple that are kind of your go-to items and you know is it an equal split between you know if it says a cup of sugar in a recipe do you do a cup of whatever other sweetener you use or what have you found that's really been a, a solid keto substitute for sugar how many days do you have? Well, I, you know, I truly, when I started asking this, Terry, I'm thinking this should be the second episode that we have with you because that's kind of what I was thinking is this is not going to be a short-winded answer by a long shot. There's so many different ones out there. But um, we should uh, we should just answer that with coming soon, part two, sweeteners. Okay. Fair enough. But yeah, that's a whole podcast in itself, quite literally. Yeah, it really is. So um, let's start to wind down. You have get, very graciously given your time. We're almost at an hour and a half right now. Um, so let's let's start winding down because it is uh, getting late on the East Coast and uh, you guys have to sleep at some point. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if I will. Uh, but uh, let's, um, let's do one final question. And that would be if uh, you were to give two... Actually, your number one cooking or kitchen tip that uh, you give most often, what would that be? Oh, oh, that's an interesting question because having done the masterclass, I've realized that there. I, I, I remember there was one recipe I did. What was it? I can't remember. I think it was the ice cream recipe. I don't know. I can't remember. Anyway, I, I did a demo, a video of it. And there was one thing where I used two spatulas. And to me, it was just like breathing. And after I posted the video, one of the, the, the students in the masterclass said, oh, my goodness, the two spatulas thing was everything. <laughs> and I was like, oh. And, and so I think why this is a hard question for me is that I, I didn't realize how much of my kind of tribal knowledge I don't remember that normal people don't know and so things that come naturally to me like breathing and and using two spatulas for certain things just most people don't know that so i don't think i yet have an appreciation of how much help people need in the cooking department and that's really going to be a focus for me because of this masterclass i just did my focus is going to be on answering your question in in giving people the tips that they really need to make a difference. So, um, for example, on my YouTube channel, I just posted a video. It's really short. It's like four minutes and it's like 
how to how to dice an onion and people lost their minds because they were like oh my goodness i i had no idea how to do that and i i hated like recipes with onions in because they're difficult and i didn't know how to chop it and and it was always you know whatever and i was always crying <laughs> and <laughs> and so um that I, I don't have an immediate answer for you because i it's so there's so much that people need help with that I didn't appreciate they needed help with. But that's going to be my focus for the next, for 2020, is really giving people all of the little, little, crazy little tips and tricks that actually are going to make cooking a lot easier and a lot faster and a lot more fun for a lot of people. Because again, if we can do that, then we will empower and encourage a lot more people to get on the keto train and stay on it. Yep, absolutely. Okay, well, I would say uh, if I could just add ahead. real quick, one tip: get a good kitchen scale and use grams. <laughs> oh, that'll yes. take you a very long way. <laughs> oh, I wish I could hug you right now. And uh, you're right. That Look, I, I ask about sugar, and I get cut off, and he asks about grams, <laughs> and all of a sudden he's getting the love. Now wait a minute. Here. No, 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 no. I didn't cut you off. I said in order to answer your question you get a whole episode <laughs> but no actually that is brilliant and and kudos for you buy a scale that is actually for for keto baking that is the number one tip ever you will instantly become a much better keto baker slash cook if you buy a scale and start weighing your dry ingredients instead of trying to measure them with volume Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, that was probably the only reason that the pie went as well as it did, because I used my scale, because I learned that from Carrie Brown. So that's uh, that's definitely good. Where can people, uh, you're, you're all over the place, so kind of give uh, the basics of where people can get in contact with you, um, how they can reach you on social media and all of that. So the best, the easiest way to do it is to go to carriebrown.com. So it's C-A-R-R-I-E-B-R-O-W-N.com. And in the top on the, the menu bar there, there's a, a, a drop down or something, which is where to find me. And you'll find like direct links to all of the places on social media there. So that should make it super easy for you to find me. We do have, but in most places, I am the real Carrie Brown. So on Instagram, it's at the real Carrie Brown. Um, on Facebook, my page is at the Real Carrie Brown. But also, I'd love you all to come and join us in the kitchen, which mm-hmm. is the Keto Kitchen. So, facebook.com slash groups slash the Keto Kitchen, where we pretty much just talk about the food. We don't talk about all the, you know, I have ingrown toenails. Is that because of keto? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, or uh, you know, all yeah. all of that the 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 medical stuff and the the technical stuff and the sciencey stuff. It's just really mostly about food and also inspiration. So that's come join us. We we have a lot of fun and um, and everywhere else you want to find me. If you go to my blog, as I say, and click on the where to find me, you'll find links to all of that and previous podcasts I've done. And then my YouTube channel is also the real. Carrie Brown, where you can see how to chop an onion and coming soon, why you need two spatulas. Yes, that would be cool. (laughs) 
Okay, very good. Well, let's go around the horn real quickly. Uh, I'll, I'll get it out of the way real quickly. You can get a hold of me, Jim, and Alberto on the Facebook group pretty much anytime. Just tag us. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we will get back to you as soon as we can, which usually isn't very long. And we'll, um, we'll uh, answer any questions or, or uh, you know, uh, respond to as, as best as we can for uh, your tag there. Uh, we'd love to see your stories. We'd love to see your, your things. You can reach us at our website and get to the Facebook group by going to theketomansclub.com. And so, uh, Jim, where can people get you on the socials? Uh, Keto Man's Club is probably the best spot on Facebook, but you can also find me on Instagram at Jim Inman Jr. Absolutely. Berto, you? Uh, same answer as far as the group. And on Instagram, I am the Keto Cholo. Yep. And you can get a hold of me on Instagram at Duckman Keto or Duckman1221, and as well, like I said, on the group. You can get a hold of our uh, our podcast Instagram where we post updates and uh, little messages, and we get tagged quite a bit on some pretty interesting stories. So you can look at that as well for at, uh, at Keto Man's Club Podcast. Uh, you can email us any comments or questions that you might have with uh, Keto Man's Club Podcast at gmail.com and if you want to ask us a question leave us a voicemail you can do so by calling 512-518-6161 all of the links to reach our facebook page for the podcast the facebook group all of that is again at that website theketomansclub.com uh, all of our socials are there as well uh we're feel free to reach out and uh to uh, connect with us because we love to to get to meet and hear from our listeners. Uh, One last uh, request is if you get the chance to please go ahead and uh, head over to iTunes uh, or whatever platform you listen on and try to leave a review. It does, it goes a long way to help the algorithm make us visible. Um, That's always a struggle with the podcasting world. They're always uh, mainly focused on newest subscribers and and things like that. So we want to get the word out as best as we can to help make impacts on as many people as we possibly can. So if you get the chance to, please go ahead and uh, leave a comment or uh, a, at least a rating, and that goes a long way. Any other parting shots, gents? You can come in the boys' fort again, Carrie. We would love to have you. So it was a pleasure to, <laughs> pleasure to talk with you tonight and for being so open and honest about your story. I mean, I know that's not the, the funnest topic to discuss, but you, you're truly making an impact on a lot of people, and I appreciate you uh, being so forward and open with your life. I uh, two things. So once you stood on stage and said it out loud and made everybody cry, there's kind of no going back. And um, also, I I gave up a lot of years ago. I gave up caring what people think because if if I can help one other person not kill themselves, that will be worth any amount of criticism or flack or you know hate i get online from people for sharing my story or personal embarrassment i'm like i just don't care anymore it's more important to me to help somebody else stay alive longer so yeah i just don't care (laughs) 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, we will definitely have you back on, and uh, maybe we'll, we we can do that uh, sometime. Uh, getting close to, to well, it's actually probably a ways away. But Keto Fest is something that you're very much in, in, involved in, being a, the the Keto Dudette. So uh, you know, maybe we can uh, promo um, Keto Fest and, and all of that. Uh, maybe when tickets come on, and, and that can be our our have our time to have you uh, return, and we can talk all about sweeteners. Um, so we. We'll, I am we'll I'm happy happy to come back whenever you think I have something um helpful to share with your I'm your sure. all I... your all your all your men. Um oh, but just... talk, yep. talking about Keto Fest, just mm-hmm. in case you hadn't heard on the grapevine that we're actually um we were asked by Dr. Nadir Ali if we would join forces with him and his low carb Houston next year. So okay. actually Keto Fest is gonna be in Houston in October. That's amazing. And that's got a whole lot closer to Austin. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> So that's, that yeah that that'll be a thing and I'm I'm yep. not sure when the the tickets will go on sale but yeah it's going to be a uh keto fest in Houston um along with the usual awesomeness that is uh low carb Houston Absolutely well that's very good to hear and and, uh, and that's uh, something to look forward to so we'll definitely be promoting that um as another gathering that uh, us in the community, keto community can come together and uh, really get to hang out. We get to have a lot of fun in Texas. Um, <laughs> so, I know. Te- uh, Texas is becoming the keto capital of the world. It really kind of is, especially well, if you specifically drive from Austin. Kentucky, if you drive from Connecticut to Texas, you may just swing through Indiana, pick me up, and we can discuss sugar substitutes the whole way down. <laughs> <laughs> so. yeah. uh, I will for sure be driving because I drive everywhere. I've um, I've done the, the Texas return trip twice now since I've moved to Connecticut. I'm sure I will be doing it again next October, and going through Indiana would be a route I haven't taken. So Okay. We'll talk soon. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Well, that's it for this week. Until next week, make sure to eat me. Lift heavy, sleep, and repeat. Thank you for joining us for the Keto Man's Club podcast. Your support means the world to us. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Would you help us spread the word about the Keto Man's Club by sharing with your friends and family? We're available on all podcast platforms, so just search for Keto Man's Club and you'll find us. If you would like to connect with us, you can do so a number of ways. Our web address leads to our Facebook group, theketomansclub.com. That's T-H-E-K-E-T-O-M-A-N-S-C-L-U-B dot com. You can also follow us on Instagram at Keto Man's Club Podcast. Lastly, if you have any comments or questions, feel free to reach out via email to Keto Man's Club Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you again for joining us today, and we look forward to hanging out with you again next week.